Welcome to Where Wine Takes You, a wine podcast celebrating the people and stories that are behind not only this exciting world-class wine, but the region responsible for it. That region has got more buzz and more depth and character than its years would normally allow. We are talking about Paso Robles wine country. I'm your host, Adam Montiel. Well, today I'm excited to bring you our wine industry persons of the year. This year, we are celebrating two individuals that would both be deserving on their own, but together, they are a force that Paso has been so blessed to have, and that is Alex and Monica Villacana of Villacana Winery and Refined Distillery. Now, I'm not going to give you their bios here right now, because just hearing them in their own words talk about how they found Paso and how Paso found them is special. But what I will tell you is that these two are fun. They are authentic, and they support They put their money where their mouth is, and they love where they live, and their products and their example shows it. Also joining us for the show, I'm excited, Stacey Jacob of Travel Paso. She started a company called Solterra Strategies that does PR, among other things, and Solterra acts as the executive director of Travel Paso, who we talk about here quite often and feature them with our Travel Paso Spotlight. And speaking of our Travel Paso Spotlight, last episode, we teased a little bit of At Her Table. And today we have Michelle Barrera on to chat the whole festival of events celebrating women through the art of culinary collection. That's right after our conversation with Alex, Monica, and Stacy. A conversation that really celebrates Paso. I show up to Villacana and we are in the cellar and we come into the conversation here with a bit of a funny story talking about how people here in the early 90s, especially when you were talking about buying land for wineries and grapes and how there was a much different reception for it than as opposed to just a handful of years later. Check it out. So give me that and this one time we actually went out with a realtor because we want to look for properties and and uh, he was like, so what are you looking for? Da, da, da. You know, give, give him the whole spiel. And we're like, oh, you know, we're, I'm working at a winery. We're, we're thinking about starting our own thing. Just wanted to see what else was out there. And he looked at me and he's like, God, people have been trying that for ages around here. It's, nev- <laughs> it's never going to work. <laughs> and so are this is kidding? like 91, 92. And, and so, you know, we couldn't afford anything at that time. So, but we were just out looking. But it was so funny because he was like, it's just, it's just not going to work. It's never going to happen. <laughs> Even then when we went to buy our property in 96, it didn't have a dwelling on it, so we couldn't get a bank load, and we didn't have the money for it. And the guy, you know, um, lived in Oregon and stuff, and he's like, I'll carry the paper for you fools. Like, (laughs) it was just like, yeah, they've been trying to do this. This is not happening. I've been hearing people have been planting some grapes down there, but... Yeah. That's so funny. Mm-hmm. 30, 30 years. Well, it, it was even t- 10 years later. Every property was great winery potential, great yeah. vineyard potential. I mean, it, oh, is that right? Uh-huh. It's amazing how it changed from uh-huh. early uh-huh. 90s to early 2000s. Yeah. Oh, this Viognier is perfect. I love the temperature, Alex, when wine okay. Thank you. is like not cold. Yeah, the cellar Super temperature. Cold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cellar temperature, yeah. baby. Yes. 55 <laughs> degrees. Oh, it's so good. Wow. Yeah. Well, I should say, Monica, Alex, congratulations. 2023 wine industry persons of the year that's so yeah. cool well thank you thank no it, you. it's it's pretty pretty amazing and humbling uh to be uh, selected as the, the wine industry people of the year it's a it's such an incredible region and it's given so much to us it's it's uh it, it's yeah. really an honor like we say it's an honor but i don't think that really it doesn't express what we feel what i mean we, it, we feel you know like it's really an honor yeah <laughs> I, well theory just loves you guys i've always loved you guys you've always been so supportive of what what i do what we do here what i try and do for you guys here like i just love our relationship with you monica talk about what this feels like for the two of you uh, with you know this long journey with the winery and now the distillery yeah it's um alex and i when we first moved up here um in the 90s we were basically busy planting our vineyard um we had jobs in la and we would leave every literally every friday night we'd drive up here farm the vineyard all weekend and then we'd drive down to santa maria to work on the wines on sunday night and then go back to our jobs probably a little dirt under our nails and stuff <laughs> and it was exhilarating i mean like we couldn't wait till friday night and you know that's youth um, one thing <laughs> ignorance of youth um and so it wasn't until uh, 2000 where you know we got to a point where we had our first child and 
we had a vineyard that was producing that we kind of looked at each other and we just said, hey, this has been a really, really great experience. Um, It's either time that we quit our jobs and we move up here and try to make it work or we sell what we've done and call it a phenomenal experience and yeah. you know no no disappointment or anything and so we like to say we did, we made the rational choice and quit two great jobs and moved up here without a job and said let's do it what yeah. were each of you doing down in LA uh, I worked in real estate and then uh, Monica actually worked for Reebok originally she yeah. was she was doing incredible work she was a West Coast marketing manager for uh, for Reebok and um, she what ended up being CEO. Did you always <laughs> have sweet shoes and stuff? Oh, I always oh, had. Man, uh, so I did really you always had you had the Reebok really Pumps before <laughs> anyone had them and stuff? Yeah, the Iversons, the Shacks. Really? You know? Oh, yeah. How yeah, cool yeah. is that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, <laughs> you just, and these stories are so cool because when someone just has a dream and they just put it all aside to go pursue the dream. Well, and, and the crazy thing, in 2000, I mean, you know, you tell your friends you're starting a winery and you say Pass Robles and that's when you used to get the, that's close to Sonoma, that's close to Napa because nobody knew where Paso was. So we were really chasing a dream in an area that nobody really knew about at the time. And in 2000, there were there were probably about 50, 60 wineries in 2000 or so. So I mean, it was it was starting the trajectory up, but it, it hadn't yeah. it hadn't taken off yet. And so it's just it's and so but in 2000 when we moved up here finally in 01, that's when we started meeting the people. Yeah. And that's when the lights and our our lights went off. Our hearts got bigger. It was like, oh my gosh these are amazing people and people went from Southern California are like what do you do in Paso? Yeah, right. <laughs> and, we were, and Alex and I are like we are busier we have a better social life in Paso than we ever did in Southern California. I mean we were having dinners we're going to dinners like this is it was it was exhausting almost. Yeah. And it was all these other young couples with young kids that were just getting started. It's like it was the place that people went to to fulfill their dream. Like they had this dream of something and they were going to go make it happen. And you could make it happen in Paso because the real estate values weren't like they were in Santa Barbara or Napa. Like it was a place where we could all come in and start. And so there were all these dreamers, these agriculture people that were doing it. So it was just really exciting. And this is a nice spark. This It's an exciting time at that time when you look at a lot of the people who were starting up. Yeah. Who were you like pinging for information, asking questions? I mean, you literally like at Via Creek, like everyone else was meeting people and rubbing shoulders with people or were you not that? that was the were, time. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it certainly was. I'm, I moved here in 03 and that was like, you know, so this is a few years earlier. So who were you kind of like, you know, meeting and saying, how do I do this? You know, it was actually interesting. So uh, I, when I first came up to the area, I was actually working out at the old Creston Winery that is now part of Ancient Peaks, I believe. And uh, and so Vic Roberts was, you know, a huge mentor uh, to me early on. Uh, you know, UC Davis trained enologist. Um, worked three full harvests for him and then kind of on and off during the rest of the year. Um you know, as he needed help, and then on weekends I'd come up and help him he out. He's a generous man. He, very generous. Um, you know, I always say, you know, Gary always talks amazing about him. Yeah, I, everyone does, right? I mean, I, yeah. I always say they rented me space, but I don't ever remember paying rent. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so anyway, so I mean, that's how we got started. So I would say he's kind of that that original guy that really helped me get going and get started uh, on the wine side. But then. Um, after, you know, we decided that we kind of were going to take that next step, um, we moved down to the Central Coast Wine Services down in Santa Maria. And the cool thing about that facility was there was a lot of young guys in a very small amount of space. Um, and, you know, you, you had guys like Joe Davis from Arcadian, which, you know, fantastic. Russell Fromm was down there at the time. And there were there were a lot of these young kind of winemakers that, you know, all of us were really just kind of getting our, at our hands in it. And, and so you would just ask questions of, you know, anybody around, you know, trying different techniques. And, um, you know, they would be watching what you're doing. Why the hell are you doing that? And, you know, I would do it this way. Hey, try this wine. And, and so it was, it was just a really interesting way to learn a lot about a, diff- a lot of different styles of winemaking in a very short period of time. Um, I don't have a science background. Um, you know, I actually wanted to go into the, the, the restaurant business. I, I love the food side of things. Um, and so, were you intimidated by that? No, I no. actually I, I wasn't. And, and that's, you know, kind of you look at kind of the things I do. I'm, I'm very much I, I love uh, kind of challenges. I love new ideas. I love trying to figure out how things work. Um, you look at these stills around here. Um, I built them. Being, you know, it's like for me, it's like I love putting things together. Whether it's you know a, a physical thing like a still or trying to figure out how to make a wine are you like me and throw the manual out 
Or do you actually use the manual? The crazy thing is they didn't even send a manual of these things. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not a manual person. Though I, though None I, of us are. Though I do do a, manuals, I mean, I, manuals. I've done a fair amount of reading on you know, the winemaking and the chemistry behind it. But the cool thing about this area is everybody's willing. I mean, you know, the Gary Eberle's, the Vic Roberts, the, you know, all those guys are willing to basically, you know, if you make a mistake and you give them a call, you say, hey, I did this. What, you know, how do I get myself out of this? They're going to go, okay, you yeah. don't do that again. And this is how I'd get yourself out of it. It was like a hands-on sensory learning. Yeah. You know, yeah. literally, you were literally in it, tasting, smelling, watching, yeah. um, learning. There's yeah. no more of learn by doing than that. I mean, that's that's it right there. Yeah, absolutely. And, the, and then on the vineyard side, you know, when we bought our vineyard property in 96, um, you know, we planted it right off the bat. And we planted four acres the first year, another two, I think, the year after that. And we were still producing a very small amount of wine. And so we actually sold some of our Cabernet originally to uh, Justin Winery. And, um, uh, you know, they were they were the gold standard and um, they were really cool about, you know, sending their vineyard team out. I bet that was even like a table, you know, talker. Justin buys our wine, by the way. Oh, it was. I because mean, for sure. I think that, it was in the isosceles. It was in the isosceles. It was in the isosceles reserve. Uh-huh. And, uh, and I think it was um, uh, uh, Sass. Um, Kevin, Kevin Sass. Kevin Sass was the uh, winemaker at the time. or No, he was the assistant winemaker out there at the time. And I remember he got us out there, you know, just as a grower. He's like, we're going to try your wines and da, da, da. And so we were trying him and he's like, you know, I wouldn't do anything different. And I was like, yes. There we go, yeah. I went to high school with him in Agora. Did you? Oh, good guy. Good guy. Good guy. Yeah, great guy. Solid yeah. guy. Uh, that is so cool. Yeah. Stacy Jacobs, not only Travel Paso, but Solterra Strategies. I can't wait to talk about what you have created here. And the relationships that you have made here are super important. I want you for a moment to talk about the Villacon as Monica and Alex. And an award, because you are very familiar with not only the two of them personally, but in business and their transitions and, and their growth and uh, where they sit in the community and what it's like uh, you feel for them to win one industry persons of the year. Well, first of all, congratulations, you guys. Thank and you. It was so fantastic that it was a the honor of the two of you because when I think of the Villaconas, I think of a team, I think of partnership, and I really think of community in such a big way. And I wanted to emphasize when, when I heard that you guys were the honorees, I thought, oh my gosh, I don't know if there's a better person that could be honored. Granted, we have a lot of great people in this community, but what a great time in your honor you. and just that trajectory overall. But um, what a fun ride. It's been so fun. It has. And you've been a big part of the, the whole thing I mean, for a long part. time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who would have thought? I mean, when I first moved here, I thought, oh, I'm going to be here three to five years and gone again. <laughs> really? Did you? I really did. I didn't I didn't know. I mean, you know, I was like these guys, right? Everyone was like, Paso who? Paso what? Where is Paso? So for someone <laughs> listening and like getting to know Stacy, so she was the, so this podcast is executive produced by Joel Peterson and the Paso Rebels Wine Country Alliance. That is the collective for Paso Wine, informally known as Paso Wine. You were the executive director two directors ago. So about a decade ago-ish yeah, around I, that? For- I started in 2004, actually. It was okay. December of 2004. Um, I came down here that fall to interview because I knew somebody that knew somebody. So um, I remember my former boss was like, why aren't you looking at this job in Paso? I'm like, what? What are you talking about? So came down here. Um, it was I think it was Harvest Wine Weekend, actually. We're very close around that. And interviewed. Um, people were still harvesting. Interviewed with members of the board of directors at that particular time. Um, it was, and I kept telling myself, I kept saying, you know what, you're just going to go for the weekend and learn about this new region and talk to some folks who knows if this is going to work out or not. I know a lot. I was moving here from Seattle, Washington. I no longer got like, literally I was driving home that night after I'm um, flying home and they're calling me and I'm like, can you, can you give me 20 minutes so I can get to my kitchen table so I can actually <laughs> sit down and write things down. It was so very can, exciting. So I can think. So I can think. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was, it was a very exciting time when we think back. I mean, it was, I, I, essentially started working for the Pastorables Vintners and Growers Association. Mm-hmm. When and I first moved here, that's what was next door to me. I lived on 8th and Oak. Oh. And that was right there. That was our office. Yeah. yeah. The that, yellow house. Yeah. What a trip. <laughs> so Did that change in the earthquake? No. Um, they, we, we still stayed in that office. I, I was in that oh, office okay. for the first several years. Oh, wow. So we were um, listening to the members, listening to the board members. Um, there was no vibrant tourism industry. Tourism was called the California Mid-State Fair at that particular time. Yeah. You know, tourism <laughs> was a small division of the Chamber of Commerce at that particular time. And so I kept getting my head around. I'm like, wow, well, there's all these places to eat. And, you know, people are coming 
coming here for tourism. That's what the industry wants. So I proposed to the board, what if we changed our name? And we changed our name from the Pastorables Vintners and Growers to the Pastorables Wine Country Alliance. And that just like changed the way people started thinking about us. And it was really this holistic approach and um, this holistic um, aspect. And so next thing you know, we have hotels joining us. We had restaurants joining. So we really created kind of the hospitality section of the Pastorables Wine Country Alliance. Then fast forward, of course, tourism started to catch up and started to organize themselves as well. Um, but it was a really interesting time. I, I always tell people when we when I first got here, the job was to brand and promote Pastorables Wine Country. We went on the road. Um, we used to do four or five road shows like within like three months. We would do like one on a Thursday, one on, excuse me, one on a Tuesday, one on a Thursday. So people would travel on Monday. Like if we went to Texas, you do Dallas on Tuesday, you'd travel, you'd do Houston on Thursday, and then you'd get home, you know, and get ready to go again. So we were just on this circuit of really getting out there to brand and promote Paso Robles. Well, how did you pick your metro areas? Was it places that maybe slow flew into? I mean, I know what we looked strategically at those. Fl- <laughs> slow wasn't even flying. Yeah, they were flying anywhere. <laughs> we, they were flying the airport anywhere. wasn't even the same airport we it have was now, like a right? Paper plane. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Everything connected via Los Angeles or San Francisco. There yeah. was no such thing as a direct flight. Yeah. Um, you know. We, are, you, are you just looking at the sitch now, going, God, people got it easy now. Oh, you got I know. Dallas, Portland, Vegas, like all Chicago these. Chicago coming Chicago, up this year. You know, really, Chicago into slow. Yeah. Oh my God! Yeah. I think I must just going back to what you just said. In in our years here, we've been here over thirty years in the industry. I do believe it was at that time that was the pivotal mm-hmm. decision, the pivotal moment that launched Paso was when we went from the Vintners and Growers Association to the Wine Country Alliance. Because yes, wine will always be king here in this area, but it's it's scooping up the restaurants the hoteliers, the breweries, the distilleries, the creameries, the little shops. It's all of that auxiliary stuff that makes Paso so great when they're going wine tasting. So they have a great day and then they have all this other stuff that come home to a great hotel, had a phenomenal uh, dinner. So marketing us all together and all being on the same team was a definite mental shift that the entire industry took that I believe launched the area and also gave a landing point for the intrinsic value of what is Paso. It's that feel that the customers come in and they're like, there's just something special about Paso. I yeah. don't know what it is. You it's that community. That's what it is. It's so interesting because I imagine these two you know, like these two rivers, almost like in Bordeaux, right? They're like bored, like tidal driven rivers. But like the confluence of you have, you know, folks like Stacy and people at the time who are, you know, really making the machine move and getting people to like understand the area. But that can't work unless you have business owners like yourselves and these people who are just willing to like go for broke and this maverick mentality and we're blending whatever we want. We're just doing it at all, you know? Yeah. And you see these two rivers on their own just like, you know, hit this confluence and it's just like this tidal wave and Stacy, maybe you can drop in on this because you can have the machine as primed as it can get but if you don't have this spirit within the business owners and within the wineries at the time now shoot breweries and distilleries you don't have it you don't have it. You have to fulfill the promise, right? So we can say all day long, come to Paso, but the promise is fulfilled when they walk in the door at Refined Distillery and have that great experience. When they meet Monica and Alex, when they you know, sit down at that dinner table and, and meet the owner of the restaurant. And, and that's where I feel like the promise is fulfilled. And what I love about Paso is it's still the owners are involved. Yeah, I get it. We, we all now are growing. We have staff, myself included, but you know what? It, you can still figure out a way to find Alex and Monica, you know, you know, it's it, which is I think is part of the genuality. You know, we talked about Gary Eberly. You know, you can still find him, you know, door. at his front door <laughs> in the tasting room, which I think makes it really special of yeah. what Paso. And I think the more we can hold on to that character and that spirit, um, it keeps just that that vibe of Paso kind of really mysterious, but also very interesting and exciting. Mm-hmm. I'm doing a panel tomorrow morning for the Paso Wine Alliance, all about hospitality, and in a time now, and I was talking to one of the folks. Who who are participating in it um, from Cereal, right? He's the, he's the brand hospitality manager yeah. for Cereal. Cool dude. 
um, his whole idea was talking to me like kind of on the phone about you know things for tomorrow was like like we really wanted to come because you're seeing you know we, we read in the news about Dow and we've seen it happen before at other brands and you know we could see people in from other you know wine areas that have had 30 40 years on us seeing interest in our area and <clears throat> taking direct interest in our area but what he was saying was really interesting he's like when we came here we really just wanted to be neighbors they really wanted to entrench themselves in here I think it's kind of a cool reputation of Paso where like if someone is going to come in and like want to do right by Paso is they see that being a neighbor and being community driven is essential. Absolutely. No, I mean, uh, th- that that whole idea of being a good neighbor, I think, is is another reason why this area is kind of launched so so quickly. Um, I mean, I started my, my winery in the cellar of somebody else. Um, we've had probably three or four wineries start in my cellar. And I think Monica always said, what is it? Within every small winery, there's another smaller winery that is getting getting started. And, yeah. and so it's... <laughs> It's just how it's done. It's just how it's done, and it's um, and it's also it's how we've developed such great relationships. I mean, you know, I've had Bob Tillman, who's now my neighbor. You know, he started in our in our cellar, and you know, he's great friends, and um, you know, and and they make Alta Kalina, Alta Kalina, absolutely. Um, you know, Nick from Nicora, you know, he he started here as well, and you know, it's 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 just you know, there's something special. It's all Monica and I always say it always comes back down to the people, and I was going to step back and talk about you know the the business side of it. And, you know, when, when I got on the board, when, when Stacy was the executive director, you know, I think one of the, the things that really sucked me in as well and, and really got me started being involved early on was how open, you know, some, some of the bigger winery wineries were. And, you know, the, the chair of the board at the time was Steve Lohr. And, um, and you, you were a vice chair. Well, not at that point. <laughs> I mean, I, I think they finally put me on it I was the squeaky wheel yeah. that didn't, didn't, didn't be quiet. But, but my whole thing was, you know, the, the Lohrs, incredible people. But, you know, they're just you know, diametrically on the opposite side of production from where we were. But the respect they give everybody in the community, no matter how small they are, is incredible. And, and you know, they're probably that those people that can actually see that we've got to do this together and, you know, to move forward, um, we have to listen to everybody's opinion and, and bring it together and, and kind of work together to, to reach that right. end goal. So, And that was the funny thing. Like when he came home and he was put as vice chair because he's squeaking well. But it's funny. <laughs> here you have Steve Lore and Alex Villacana. Like you could not get more diametrically different <laughs> in like right in size and, and which yeah. is so paso i mean that is yeah. so paso yeah. and then of course the graciousness of of steve it's just that's just so paso yeah. but that's why it works mm-hmm. and yeah. i think that's so important the more we can sit around the table and have conversations between jaylor and villacana or dow and um you know alta clina yeah. i think it's so important to have that because at the end of the day we're all about promoting the region yeah. um quick story about Jerry Lohr. My first week here, he invited me to their national sales team meeting that happened to be out at their winery. Pretty sure he gave me an assignment that I never completely fulfilled because I got super busy doing a whole bunch of other things. But let me tell you, I respect that man. He literally puts his money where his mouth is and he shows up. And that has been something that has been infiltrated through their whole company culture. And I, I loved it when Steve was, you know, chairman because like we would travel we did so many things together um that's when we got conjunctive labeling in place oh yeah if you remember yeah, absolutely absolutely before the days meaning that every bottle will have to say above Pass whatever passer Pass 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 which that was, was another pivotal move like huge. that's beautiful yeah mm-hmm. yeah that's funny i was just talking on the phone to somebody else today about the how i feel when, when did the sub avas come in 10 years ago ish I think they officially got approved in about 2011, 2012. Okay, so a little we more than 10 years ago. We got caught up in politics, but we put yeah. that conjunctive labeling in place in 2007. Right, okay. So that, you know, in just you know, a little over 10 years, more people and more people are understanding, asking questions. Obviously, people are using it for marketing. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, then you see, you know, brands like Austin Hope or Serial try and actually, no, we want to do something from everyone and make one. Like where they're using the diversity of all these 11 districts to become more creative. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, it's cool. I, I remember sitting in meetings with um, with Bob Haas and with Jerry Lore, and I remember Bob looking at Jason Bob saying- Bob Haas, legend, Tablas Creek. Legend, Tablas Creek. Yeah. Him looking at uh, Jason in a meeting, I think we were up at UC Davis, and he said, what is it that you want? We're doing this for your generation and your kids. Oh, man. I mean, he was so, but, but, but gracious, like knowing that, hey, sure. we're paving the way, we're doing this, but I'm not going to use this. You guys are yeah. going to use this. How, how do you want to use it? Yeah, it's that was actually such an incredible experience, 
you know, I think one of the things that actually stood out in my memory was the attorney that came down and did it, who did a lot of these uh, these AVAs for different mm-hmm. regions. And I think he was ready for this long, drawn-out, multi-year process trying to get to the end point. And I, I, I actually remember him saying something. This is the strangest thing that I've ever been through because you guys are all willing to get along <laughs> and, and make this happen. Yeah. And I just remember him being like in total shock that it had happened so fast. Yeah. Richard Mendelssohn Richard out Mendel- of uh, Napa Valley <laughs> because he had done so many of the Napa ones and yeah. he never, he, he didn't understand that we all got along and Welcome we could just have <laughs> We could just go get signatures that we needed. He was like, huh? Yeah. And we're like, <laughs> okay, so if this line is, but it was like we, like we were willing to listen to each other yeah. and make adjustments and not fight like to the, to the death over and it. And we did pretty darn well. I think so. I think, uh, we did really well, I have yeah. to say. That was yeah. an incredible process. Yeah. Well, now we see a different snapshot of Paso, Stacy. Travel Paso is dealing with, first of all, I have to thank you for your support of the podcast. The Travel Paso Spotlight is so much fun. We get a chance to interview and highlight people who are not just wineries or in quote production, but have so many other things to enlighten us on, whether it's taking e-bikes through the vineyards or Sensorio, or I mean, we've done, you know, two years of these. So I want to thank you for your support with the podcast. But there's so, I mean, like, you know, that snapshot of Paso now, it includes Michelin star restaurants. It includes, you know, um, hotels that are just like blowing people's minds that, you know, was once just a, a motel you wouldn't even want to stay in. And now is like this chic little mid-century modern place, you know, like the farmhouse. So, I mean, the area now has just changed so much. You know, Adam, I have to say, I think I'm, I've always been pretty excited about Paso, but I'm so excited about what's happening at Paso right now. I think our downtown community is one of the coolest vibes that we have going on. I love to see the investment um, that's happening in the hotel and lodging sector as a whole, whether it's, you know, hotels that, you know, you have these legacy brands, right? And now, you know, just like the wine world, they're going through their succession planning. So I think about, you know, Noreen Martin and and selling her um, her, uh, company last year to KS sell and now talking to Ian Pollan literally just a month ago and he said I knew the Paso market was strong I didn't actually understand how strong it was and so to hear somebody who's been one year into the market so this is like the this. Martins who sold Martin Resorts who had Paso in Piccolo yep exactly and, and then Shelby their brother Shelby Prince, of course yeah so this is the new brand that came in to this acquire is the new those brand. and they're like whoa you guys are a monster yeah you guys like, are like a beast you're, sure you're on fire and yeah you know they're going going to be going through their renovation. So I feel like 2024 is about this year of renovations going on in hotels right now. And then of course we have new hotels coming, but let's not forget about the short-term rentals that we have. Um, and that's booming. The RV resorts. Yeah. Yes. I mean, what Sun Outdoors is doing out It's at, pretty cool. It's yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. It's almost like, it's like bougie RV. Oh yeah. Camping. It's like, <laughs> I always tell people, I'm like, Oh no, we have the unique lodging mix. You, you have the choices of wine, choices of distilleries. Oh yeah. You can stay in a hotel. You can stay in a cute area. Airbnb, or you can go stay at an RV resort. Like we have all the options. It's very cool. Yeah, or you can stay in a little trailer pond. You can stay <laughs> in a situation pond, yeah. down the street. <laughs> Which is awesome. Stumble home from out of yeah. uh, refined and yeah. go to your trailer pond. Uh, no, it is definitely different. Also, one thing that you know, when we came here, you early two thousands, me oh three, and you oh four. The restaurants. I mean, the game here is crazy. Whether it's downtown, whether it's outside of downtown. I mean, shoot, who would have thought? I would have thought Justin would have gotten the Michelin star first. I think they deserved it a long time I think it was a long time coming because that was to me fine dining on another level yeah. what they've been doing there for years but who knew that our first Michelin star would come to Tin City yeah. right I mean right. that's so cool and appropriate for Pasadena absolutely absolutely well, when we first came in the early 90s I mean you literally really didn't go to downtown after dark you know you, there's yeah. Smokey's Barbecue where Olympia O'Grady's he's called O'Shady's yeah exactly Busey's <laughs> and then at Via Creek in 92 and Bistro Laurent opened in 92 and then there was just nothing from a personal standpoint are you guys still are you so busy with the spirits that you're like oh the wine is a chore are you still as into it obviously what do you think I still, I think, like the winemaking part of it better than I like the spirits part. The the spirits are, um, you you know, it's you. You're very creative to start, and then it's basically it's it's much more of a repetitive process because it's a little bit more formula. Copy paste, yeah, yeah. Where with wine, it is different every year, and I think that's what I love about it is, you know, they whether it's in the vineyard or in the winemaking process, um, each year you start with a clean slate. Uh, Each year you look back on what you've done, you know, just not the last year, but you know, for me, it's now you know going on thirty years. Yeah. And 
every year is, is, is a little bit different. And, and for me and for my kind of creative mind, that's what I love. And, um, and so, you know, my style of winemaking has changed over the years. Has uh, it? Oh, absolutely. How so? Um, you know, it's, it, you know, for one, it's, you know, once, once the Rhone varieties came, uh, started in the area, you know, I, I used to be very kind of minimalist and wouldn't basically manipulate the wines with bleeding or anything like that. Um, but then when I saw the difference of the style of wine that you would get out of kind of doing light manipulation of the wine by actually pulling a certain amount of juice out, it basically like opened my eyes that there are things that I can do that are, that aren't like really, I'm not adding things to the wine. I'm just taking those grapes and kind of changing their characteristics by, you know, just doing winemaking techniques. You can create really unique things. And so for me, it's, you know, it's fun to experiment um, using different barrels, different winemaking techniques, different yeasts, um, because you can really have different outcomes. And I think, you know, just like I think we change as people, I think I've, my taste buds have changed over the years. And so I look for different things. And, you know, where, you know, early on, I loved Enoki Chardonnay. Now I actually don't use any oak on my white wines because I love to let the, the, the kind of the fruit speak oh, for itself. so interesting. Wow. And, and there's wines I'd like a ton of oak on because it's just the style of the wine. And, you know, and so, uh, you know, I think the wine for me is, is, is continues to be the creative every year. Um, and, and for me, I think that's never going to change. Um, the crazy thing is for business wise, uh, the, the spirits have just grown a lot faster. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I think the, the wine will always kind of stay, you know, where we are between about 1500 and 2000 cases where the spirits has grown probably three times that but remember we didn't get into spirits because we love to drink vodka (laughs) like that wasn't our purpose in getting into the spirits we were getting into the spirits because there was this beautiful paso juice that was being not being utilized and so we got into it for more of a sustainability aspect that's where the name comes from which exactly finding a reuse and refining it and so that's that's how we got into the spirits it wasn't like oh i've tried 52 vodkas and it it had nothing to do with that (laughs) which is why though you like to make the whiskey yeah and i i like to compare it that the whiskey make crafting whiskey is kind of like the wine where you have all these nuances and flavors and how does oak impact it and where do you do your cuts and all that sort of stuff it's that more creative process where the clear spirits are more formulaic yeah. and so am, am i right on 100%. that 100% yeah. yeah. where do you see alex and his acumen in both industries so his ascension as a winemaker and as he's grown and his ascension as a distiller and as he's grown is alex a better winemaker or a distiller <laughs> Well, I think actually, I mean, this is going to sound whatever, but um, I think they've helped each other. Oh, really? Mm. So I think when he, like, for example, when we first got our stills and we're making the first batch, we're like, how are we going to know when it's ready? (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Okay. I mean, because no one was doing it. I mean, we we couldn't go next door. The first ones that came to market was you guys. Yeah. And so it wasn't, so he walked in and he was working with Soren Christensen at the time, who's with Hearst Castle, Hearst Wine now. And they walked in and they're like, okay, now's the time because they had such a heightened sense, uh, a nose that they could, they could actually tell via the nose versus having to go look at the temperature, the, the thermometer that it was ready. And so the winemaking background really helped with the distilled spirits. And then on the other side, when he's doing the whiskeys, I see him, he's lined up. There's like 92 glasses of whiskey. His nose just goes right through it. And so it helps, it helps the whole process. Yeah. So, um, I think they really, believe it or not, I think it really is a, a co-dependent industry. Yeah. What do you think you're better at? Just inherently, what is harder for you? You know, like you, you might be have an inner talent for this. Selling it. Selling it. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I mean, I I think to Monica's point, it actually, I think they both have really helped me. Um, uh, On the winemaking side, it's helped me because I'm I'm willing to take more risks in a sense. Mm. Um, Where before, you know, we we were making a living off of selling 1,500 cases of wine. I had to make sure that that 1,500 cases of wine could get to market no matter what. Yeah. Um, Where now it's with with the distillery doing well. Um, you know, if if I wanted to drop a little bit more fruit, if I want to bleed a little bit more, if I want to experiment with a different style of barrel or a different style of yeast, or if I want to go with a wild fermentation, I can do those things and not worry that if that batch doesn't turn out the way I want it, I don't have to release it. And so it, it's given me flexibility as a winemaker. That's kind of fun. It is a lot of fun. Um, and and it's, it's a flexibility I didn't have before. And so I think it's made me a better winemaker in that sense and having more fun with the winemaking. Yeah, side which, is, well. which I think the more um, fun you're having, you're going to be a better winemaker. So... I, I think I'm a I'm a 
good. I mean, I've, I've, I'm a, a new distiller. Ten years is a, it's a new distiller, but um, you know, there's been people doing it for generations back in you know Kentucky and Tennessee and in the Midwest. And um, you know, you definitely get better at it as you because smelling higher proof alcohols is a lot harder than smelling wines. Yeah. And um, and basically making those nuanced cuts is 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 really special. And then and then you have to wait years to basically see the results of that. Yeah, we're yeah. looking two three years like a wine. <laughs> we're looking ten yeah. twelve. Damn. And, and so I've, I've you know I've thankfully had the training as a winemaker first because a lot of it is as Monica said sensory and so a lot of that has already been trained um, but it's still it's now training it on a new material that's coming out the still and so it's it's um, anyway it's it, it's unique I, I, I wouldn't say I'm better at one or the other um, yeah. I, I think I'm I'm good at both <laughs> yeah no for sure you are yeah, this whole this whole idea of like you know if you want something done you sometimes you got to do it yourself yeah. Ooh, you are very active mm-hmm. in like pursuing legislation talking to lobbyists making sure our folks in sacramento are are doing right by us i mean there were laws old tight house laws that got eased during covid and then they tried to tighten them again and you were really into going back up there and helping our you know elected officials loosen those back up again and and hopefully it lasts another year who knows right but yeah. um you really made a decision for to be very active in persuading and talking to leaders about your industry. Where, do, where does that come from? Yeah, well, I mean, when we decided to get into the distilling industry, the, the, one of the biggest challenges we had was being the first, but also the, the laws had never been changed uh, since Prohibition. You know, wineries and breweries uh, basically got out of what were considered the Tide House, the three-tier system uh, that started after Prohibition, which basically said that as a manufacturer, you had to sell to a wholesaler, to sell to a retailer, to sell to the public. Wineries and breweries early on basically saw that that was something that they didn't want to follow that uh, that system. They wanted to go DTC, direct to consumer. Direct to consumer. And so um, early on, the wholesalers didn't fight it that much. Um, but then the, the, the spirits, which, uh, you know, up until 10 years ago, there were probably about less than 100 distilleries in all of the U.S. Crazy. Crazy. And, and, and so then they produced all the spirits you see on, on a, a store shelf. And they weren't concerned about having to sell DTC or to basically sell it directly through their tasting room. So then the Jack Daniels of the world, they weren't threatened. They weren't threatened. They, did, they didn't care they about it. Care. They don't care. They didn't want to sell direct. Yeah, they, right. Yeah, right yeah. <laughs> no. they, they, were, they were using the wholesale channels, and they were perfectly fine with it. Um, but then you know, along comes all of us small craft distilleries. And, and bunch the, of yahoos. The, a bunch yeah. of yahoos. <laughs> and, and the wholesalers, you know, they, they just can't handle that many small distillers. And so we were trying to figure out a way to get to market. And so... Um, here in California, there was a, an early group of distillers that got started, and, and they actually, back in 2015, passed um, a bill that basically created the Type 74 license, which actually allowed uh, tasting rooms to sell um, spirits like vodka and gin and whiskeys. And that was kind of the first big step. And you There know, were we, only, what, like 10 of us that were part of that. Yeah, and we were, at that point, I, I was basically financially involved, but not actually involved kind of boots on the ground. Yeah always been kind of involved in kind of the marketing and trying to develop the area. Monica and I were kind of one of the founding members of the Pass Robles Distillery Trail. Yes. Um, that, uh, that is very unique. It, we were actually the only trail, organized trail in California. Actually, I think probably in the U.S. at this point, right, outside, yeah. outside of like Kentucky. I, yeah, yeah. Um, but, um, uh, you know, we, we thought it was important. And part of it was just, you know, following the kind of the... The, the, the models the at the winery models set up. The winery set up. And, yeah. and, and, you know, what Stacy was doing with the PRWCA. I mean, it was like, mm-hmm. if we all work together, we're going to all get ahead. And so, thankfully, in Paso, everybody saw that, and, and and it worked. And you know, fast forward to 2020, COVID. You know, one of the things that we weren't allowed to do prior to 2020 was actually ship our spirits. Mm-hmm. So we had the ability to sell them through our tasting room, which was a huge plus. Um, but we didn't have the ability to ship them. Um, there was some weird loopholes, but but the reality is, is there was no legal shipping. And 2020, one of the only positive things yeah. that came out of COVID was that um, the governor actually relaxed the uh, alcohol beverage control laws that basically said let them ship so they can keep their doors open and so um, thank you daddy Newsom yeah thank you governor Newsom that was a, it was a huge plus and and so and literally he did it overnight I mean it was like one of those things he's like okay you know he basically called the ABC or sent an email to the ABC and said you know do what it's you amazing need. how quick how things can happen things exactly happen. <laughs> um, do what you need to do to keep the doors open right and, and so um, so anyway but as soon as that happened a group of us got together and go we know this is going to end we've got to make it permanent. And so that, you know, 
three three and a half years ago, three years ago. We're still Um, trying, right? Yeah, we're still trying. Because it got extended last, like, what, December or something? We've actually gotten two bills to extend it. Uh, So it's two temporary bills to extend the direct-to-consumer shipping. But we've also gotten some, you know, kind of uh, other smaller legislation actually passed. Um, Actually, this this recent cycle, one of the weird things is we actually technically had to have two separate tasting rooms. We had to have one for the winery. You used to have tape on the ground here. We had tape on the ground. I (laughs) I remember that. There's so many different weird things. But, like, this last year, um, our our local senator... uh, Laird actually sponsored legislation that actually now allows us to actually sell the spirits and the wine that we produce in the same building in the same room. And so it Rejoice. seems kind of it seems kind of it's funny, beautiful. but but we had to actually pass a bill this last year to, to actually that. get that. And through. if you translate that, that means we have to have two tasting room member staffs. So you look at all these little distilleries and wineries and you know breweries, and it's like they're double staffed in a situation where there's really no need for, I mean, it's yeah. all being made in the same place, yeah. you know? Yeah. Oh, and so, so anyway, so uh, this year we're actually, um, we're, we're going to try to make the, um, that direct to consumer shipping permanent. Uh, but then we're also trying, uh, we're working with, um, we're getting a group together to try to change the way that alcohol licenses are actually distributed in the County. One of the growing things that we have is, you know, we have a lot of, um, you know, four star hotels that want to move to this area. And we have a lot of, you know, restaurant tours that would love to move to this area to kind of take that, Michelin star and just and grow upon it. But one of the things that the biggest challenge they have is um, a lot of the restaurants and the hotels, a lot of their revenue stream comes through those liquor licenses. Oh, for sure. For, for so you're talking about like having the license of just beer and wine versus full bar. Yeah, full bar. Uh-huh. And the full bar. And pay- if you don't got a full bar, it's like, yeah, it, there's so much more money you can be making out of a full, full bar. Full bar pays the bills. Right. And so, um, so we actually have um, a senator out of um, uh, El Dorado that is actually going to be sponsoring a bill, um, hopefully here in the next couple of weeks to basically allow our board of supervisors to vote on expanding the number of licenses that would actually be available here in the county. And that's not just for for Paso, but it's for all ag regions in California. So regions that have this agritourism where their their census population is considerably smaller than their quote-unquote weekend population that's coming in. So it's a statewide initiative. It's something that it it takes a lot lot of my time. I always joke I'm an amateur lobbyist. And it is uh, yeah. it, it is a lot of work, but it's a lot of Sacramento hotel rooms. Thank you know the crazy thing is Zoom yeah. Zoom is actually oh that, oh that's cool. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's actually going back the other direction, and, and there's it, there is something about meeting in person, and um, and you know the, the the good thing is they how can you say no to his smile? <laughs> what are they well. gonna do? They meet you, it's over. <laughs> you see those high cheekbones and that uh, that dimples. anchor man? Yeah, we give the dimples. It's all yeah. the dimples. Well, and you and, and I get away with so much with dimples. Uh, uh, dimples work, <laughs> um, but but legislators they they do have a hard time. Saying it's no hard. to farmers, and, and uh, to be honest, of course, that, that's, re- that's really you know when you look at this area's distillers, especially, we're farmers first. I mean, most of us are basically yeah. we we grow grapes, we basically turn it into wine, and some of us are taking it one step farther and turning it into spirits. Yeah, and so it's really giving uh, small agriculture a chance to actually continue to, to thrive, and that's that's what everybody wants is to basically keep the small farmer alive and um, and, and and not turn it into these yeah. big factory farms. Well, and a lot of people are like, "What do you mean, uh, you know, whiskey's agriculture?" Well. What is your bourbon made of? Hmm. Corn. Corn. Yeah. You know, what is rye? Yeah. It, it's, you know, it's, it's, grain. it's grain. Yeah. So it's, it's people just don't, don't relate um, the spirits with agriculture, which it is, which is another funny thing that, that we did was that there was a bill that was going to pass um, here in California that made it so that we had to pay higher taxes on our barrels for whiskey that wines didn't have to do because barrels are a part of the ingredient for wine, but they're not part of the ingredient for whiskey. And so Alex went up basically with whiskey that was straight off the still that's clear right and then whiskey that's has that beautiful amber color and said where do you, which one would you prefer to drink <laughs> wow great. you know and they that's basically so good. we want this one well do you know what what made this one look Wood. like this yeah. <laughs> barrels yeah. and that disappeared real fast that, after yeah it. that law just went yeah. Ooh, we're not yeah. going to pass that anymore that's great yes. now who's Against these laws, uh, is it the big boys? Well, the um, uh, on the di- direct consumer shipping, it's it's really the wholesalers. They're they're concerned about losing market share, um, and you know. I always kind of go back to the argument on wine. Wine actually was given the right to direct to consumership back in 1986, I believe. Um, and at the time, the industry was about a $4 billion industry. Um, now, I think the wine industry is close to $40 billion. Um, and, you know, the, the wholesalers are selling more than they've ever sold in no, the past. No, of course. And, yeah, and so, yeah, right. So everybody's wanting. And what we always say is, it, it, you know, when we're talking about this is, 
you know, the direct consumer shipping for our size distillery, it's really an on-ramp for us to basically get into the regular wholesale channels. A wholesaler doesn't want to deal with Monica and I because no. we're more of a pain um, than, than we are a benefit to them at this we point. We can't fill up their truck. If they place a PO, we don't have enough product to fill up the yeah. truck. We don't have the sell-throughs. We yeah. don't have the consumers that's demanding us. Like, we are a pain. <laughs> yeah. And so they want us to get big enough where once they actually pick us up, that then there's the demand on the other side and okay. ease yourself. And, and so, so that's really, DTC is really the only way that we can get big enough to actually have one of the distributors uh, represent. I mean, yeah. really funny story. Can I, the story? Yeah, sure. So what, really first on, because we were at the, the real front of the, the distilling movement in California, one of the big distributors came in and they were like trying to swoop up all the little distillers, right? Like they, acquire you? The, not acquire, like we want to represent. You. Oh, got it. And so they created this whole like artisanal division of the, you know, the branch and this is what they're going to do. Well, they, they found out really fast that this was a money loser because they, they you know, they placed an appeal. We're out of inventory. You can't get it in time. No one's buying it. It's sitting on the shelves. Like this is like a <laughs> massive pain. Let's sell Jack Daniels, Jim Beam. Right. Know? Like this is no, we're not paying them the sales rep, their bonuses and all that sort of sure. stuff. And so, um, so we ended up pulling out of that distributor um, con- agreement. It was just a verbal agreement and went with our local distributor um, because they sell small craft things. Anyway, long story short, we got a letter two years after we switched from them to our local distributor saying, we are no longer going to represent you. We're going <laughs> to drop your brand. And we're like, that's how insignificant we were. Like, they had no idea that we hadn't even been with them for two years. It, it, it was kind of humbling. We're like, whoa, we were so small, they didn't even know we were there. You're like, honey, they just broke up with us. They just broke up with us. And we so, broke up with them two years ago. That's, that's why when so he's funny. in Sacramento, he's like, you didn't even, you don't even know you didn't want us yeah. if you didn't want us. Yeah, right. No, exactly. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Mm-hmm. Gosh, Paso has changed so much. It's so exciting. Yeah. Uh, Stacey, when we talk about, like, what you even feel in 24 or 25 like what's next i mean what are some of the things that you and your teams are kind of uh, working on for the future you know it's really interesting because we've gone through this huge growth and we're going through a refining period right we've talked about the michelin restaurants you talk about like these great exhibits like sensorio that are here and continuing to build upon that um the lodging community there's not only um investment there, there's new investment coming um but you know it's interesting because we have to start to look internal we need to you know we got to continue growing our workforce in the hospitality community. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to be doing that by, first of all, celebrating that workforce that's here. We have a new hospitality awards program that we're launching. We, we've actually just launched it. We're asking for you know, um, nominations. We'll be celebrating those folks in May, aligned with National Travel and Tourism Week. We also, um, so people want to come here, right? It's fascinating. I get calls all the time about, oh, what do you think about Paso? Let me tell me about the demographic. You know, what the research is showing now is that we're actually leaving money on the table because we can't service the high-end mm-hmm. consumer mm-hmm. in terms of what they want from an accommodation experience perspective. So, you know, I don't really have a crystal ball, but let me just tell you, I think the next 10 years in Paso are going to be really exciting in terms yeah. of what's coming. So Travel Paso serves as a great destination spot, especially if you're considering planning your next trip here, because really from there, it's like, oh, family friendly, pet friendly. Like you, it, it is just a must stop before you come. It's just a great, um, yeah, TravelPaso.com. It's our number one marketing tool, our website. We're going to give you lots of information and hopefully get you so excited that you want to not only plan the trip you're planning to come on, but come again and again and again. Because as we know, once you get here, and you meet the people, you're, you're, you're going to be excited, right? Yeah. You, you want to come back and make that regular stop to Paso Robles. Yeah, TravelPaso.com uh, is the website. So you started a company after you left. I'm, I'm so curious. Once you stepped and left the Paso Robles Wine Country mm-hmm. Alliance, did you consider moving? No, I did not at that point. You wanted to stay. I wanted to stay. stay. I knew I wanted to stay at that point. I always say, Paso chose me when I moved here to run the Paso Rebels Wine Country Alliance. And then... I chose Paso when I started my business here. So you started Solterra Strategies, mm-hmm. which in short, what do you call yourself? You're, you're like an, an agency, PR. What, how do you encapsulate the work that Solterra does? Yeah, so we say Solterra focuses on three things, public relations, marketing, and strategic planning. Those are kind of the three pillars in which we operate and, and work in. And so when Travel Paso used to be like this organization from the city, mm-hmm. it's separated as a nonprofit, and now kind of like the executive director of Travel Paso is your company, Solterra Strategies. It is. And your 
team. Yeah, we're very fortunate. We helped with the transition from the city to their own independent organization. And then um, really in COVID, the board came back to us and said, okay, we want to get really lean. We want to be really smart. We don't know what's going to happen here. And they said, would you take us on and, and run everything? And I said, Okay, yeah, let's take a look at this. Um, and that's really like flourished into just such a um, great relationship. And, you know, we we love seeing putting the partners together. We love like doing things. We love like the strategic alliance we have with the um, Pastorables Wine Country Alliance. Um, Alex had mentioned earlier, you know, we, we're doing really cool things. We have stadium partnerships with PayPal Stadium and the Earthquake soccer team. Um, we just took a new one out with the Sharks, um, the hockey team up in San Jose. We're looking at San Jose as this huge opportunity um, it's only two and a half hours away, as we all know who are listening on this podcast. But what's exciting about this is that um, it is like it's shocking how many people don't know Paso or they totally know Paso. So we do this event that somebody reminded me. It, we called it Saber Paso. They said, "Well, you guys used to do an event up here," and I literally went back in the memory bank. We actually did an event um, back in the, in the my Wine Country Alliance days. It was um, at a theater actually in downtown really? San Jose. This would have been that? like two, probably two. 2006, seven, okay. somewhere in there. Okay. And, um, and so people know about Paso and this, it was so interesting, this um, event that we did up at the PayPal park. Um, it was a Thursday night. It was getting to a point where I'm like, Oh, you know, we can keep selling a few more tickets. I said, I'm sure there'll be attrition. We had four people not show up. There was no attrition to this event. I do a lot of events. Let me tell you, there's always a 20% attrition rate on event sales. Nope. Everyone came. It was exciting. It's like 700 deep. 700 people and they were Paso proud. And I was just like, what? What's going on here? Yeah. It was very cool. And so, you know, it it was truly that reminder of, you know, Cal Poly, a lot of, you know, engineers that end up, we're going to Silicon Valley. They're heading up to San Jose and, but they have the affinity of this area. And if they're wine lovers or spirits lovers, they're coming back here a big way. Yeah. So travelpaso.com is the website. What are some things around the corner we can look forward to? I mean, gosh, I saw you guys uh, at the New Year's thing. That was pretty cool. That was new this year. They killed it with that thing. They did. Thousands of people at the park for that. The city did a fantastic job. So we, you know, I I always say our strategic alliances are the um, Paso Robles Wine Country Alliance, the city of Paso Robles. Um, We actually, working with the city of Paso Robles, brought back the 4th of July um, experience here. So this will be the third year this year in terms of doing an awesome 4th of July event. At Barney um, Schwartz? At Barney Schwartz yes. again. Yes. Yeah. Cool. It was great. It was a great It was so fun. Year. Yeah. And it's programs like that, that and the um, the New Year's Eve event and even the lighting of the downtown park. <laughs> yes. I mean. Those trees are beautiful. They're off gorgeous. The hook. Yeah. And you walk out, you're having dinner and you look up, you're like, oh my gosh, that's turned Paso, that hasn't turned because we've always been. It's it's highlighted that we are a community. Mm-hmm. And so 4th of July is important. New Year's Eve is mm-hmm. important. The downtown experience, we are a community. We're In a beautiful square that you're proud of. Oh, you're you proud. Know, that, and you're showing it off. And oh. it's and it's like quaint and Mayberry looking, but it's it's got beautiful lights from 2023. You know what I mean? Like They just did such a good job lighting such that up. And it was so job. cool when we were at that New Year's thing. And the um, Steve Gregory was up there like, we're going to keep these up all year. Yeah. Like, this is yeah. awesome. Like, it's, it, I always say it's like it's like a Hallmark movie. I mean, it just oh yeah, it, it totally. just had such it a is, perfect like a, feel. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's our like our kids came home from college this year for Christmas, and we went to a movie, and we walked out of the movie, and they were like, "Oh my gosh!" Awesome. Well, wine industry persons of the year, Monica and Alex Villacana, we're going to celebrate you February eighth. You ready for that? Do you have speeches set up, or what's going on? Uh, I, we're working on it. So yeah, it's it's, it's, it's tough. I mean, what do you, what do you say to something like this? It's like Monica said, it, being honored is, is is just an understatement. I mean, mm-hmm. it's this this community has given us so much, and um, it's uh, to 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 be you know selected as the industry people of the year is, is really special. I mean, it's 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 up there. I really the like that it was the you guys as a couple because I'm a real like I don't know. I love relationships. I love yeah. the two of you, and I love you. I love you, but I love just like the two of you. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I think a lot of people who know you and like you and have an affinity for the both of you yeah. just think you're so cute. I love when I watch you walk out an event and you you grab her hand and she's it's dangling and like you guys are just a very cute couple I think you know and I think to have you both because I, I know you are a horse when it comes you 
are a hard worker, Monica. I know that about you, Alex, too. Yeah. Like, you both independently work super freaking hard, yeah. and you have this, like, collective power that you guys represent together. So yeah. I just think it's so cool to have you. you guys both up there to um, accept this award yeah. on the I, it's, it's funny, because we have two totally diverse skill sets. He, I, I call him the popcorn head. The ideas <laughs> coming out of it, it's just like, oh, my, slow it down. <laughs> slow it down. And then I have more of the organizational implementation skills. And so together, it's more, it's a team because yeah. I couldn't do what he does. Like, I mean, the ideas he comes up but there's with. No all way, stuff. It's kind of like my house, too. Like, there's no way you would even last a second without her. <laughs> oh, no. You must know <laughs> that. Yeah. You know, and, and, and anything either one of us gets involved in, it's, you're really getting two for the price of one. Yeah, because, right. That's so true. Even though one's sitting in the seat at the time, it's, it's, we've talked about the it. The other one's invested. It's invested. Because you want to see yeah. him, you do, mm-hmm. you, you want to yeah. see her and the things that she's working on, right? So I get it. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Although the one idea that I wish that I would have acted on when we were driving up here from Pasadena to um, <laughs> to Paso, um, we were driving. It was always about the drive. And we always wanted to drop and get a, like a, a nice gourmet coffee and a bagel or this and that. And Alex is like, we should really start a chain of drive through coffee, high-end coffee. <laughs> shops with and where they sell food and all that sort of stuff. This was in the early 90s. This was, no. That would have been, that might have been cool if it hit. <laughs> We're like, oh my gosh. And uh, like, can you imagine? Like, yeah, yeah. Hello, can you imagine Starbucks just made three billion dollars? <laughs> yeah. yeah, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I'm like, well, less, less regulations too. <laughs> yeah, right, a hell of a lot less. <laughs> my bad, my bad. Regulations. That was a good one. <laughs> so good. Well, we're excited to honor you guys on the 8th Wine Industry Persons of the Year. We have Alex and Monica Villacana. Uh, the the wine, we have this Viognier. It was just beautiful. Um, a state-grown Viognier 2022 website. And how can people taste the wines, Alex? So we are actually open now seven days a week again. So 11 to 5 here on Adelaide Road. Um, so, uh, you know, appointments, you, you can make an appointment, but we love walk-ins. Um, just come on in. Uh, during the summer, we have some beautiful tables outside. We, you know, can get charcuterie plates for you. Um, can I taste both? Uh, you can, actually. We actually, that's generally how we actually recommend it. So um, we do the wine tasting first and then the spirits to follow. Uh, we actually have two different spirits flights where you can actually just do our standard spirits, which are, you know, our clear spirits, our vodkas and uh, gins, and uh, as well as um, our barrel finished vodka and uh, whiskey. Or you can just do a straight whiskey flight now. Uh, Fun. Because we have cool. uh, so many different whiskeys we're working with. You probably know, but we actually work with Firestone Walker Brewing. Uh, yeah. They actually do all of our base material and it gets down to, you know, picking the person who knows how to do the best with the raw material. And, and so on with my whiskeys, I actually work with Firestone because they are probably some of the best brewers in the world. And, uh, and so they basically make the base material for our bourbon, our rye whiskey, and our wheat whiskey. And then we do the fermentation, distillation, and aging here. And so now we, um, almost all the time, we have the three different whiskeys available. And so people can come up and just do a whiskey flight. And so we're basically saying, you know, now it's whiskey and wine country. So yeah, it's a- <laughs> I love it. Well, the last time that we were around this table in this cellar, it was with oh yeah it was with Matt Brindleson yeah, and, and with Dustin, Dustin yeah. talking about that relationship mm-hmm. so yeah. it's so cool to have you guys here and well it's so cool for you to have me here thank you for having me um, I want folks to go to travelpasso.com and Stacy it was so cool to learn more about you and then really you know because um, I do this podcast with Paso Wine but to learn your history that I've known you for a long time through Paso Wine and to see how you've like even evolved with, with Solterra and then doing these different things in, in wine and community and with Travel Pass. So it's super exciting to see your rise and the way that you came here and just really represent so well. So Yeah, she's a trailblazer in her yeah. own way. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I, I, I'm waiting to see what she gets me involved with next. So yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I've always loved, especially in my transitions of late, like I've loved picking your brain and talking to you and working with you. So it's so much fun to have all you guys here and um, all you guys just love Paso so much. So thanks for celebrating absolutely. Paso. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Thank you. So give me that Ah, so good. Love Monica and Alex Villacana. What a treat to have Stacy there. She is entrenched in this area and especially knows the two of them, Alex and Monica, so well and has been alongside them in a lot of their growth. And it's just cool to see all three of them doing so well for this area. It was also really neat to hear Alex talk about how, yes, you know, the, the distillery growing three, four times its size, but that the winemaking still has a very special place with him. And that continues to grow and evolve and he learns from. That's the thing with wine. No matter who you are or what you know, there's still a lot to learn. 
That's one of the most exciting things about it. Okay, for our Travel Paso Spotlight at her table, you got to check out athertable.com. We are connecting with my dear friend and founder, Michelle Barrera. Michelle, how are you? It is great to chat with you. Oh, I am good. How are you, Adam? I imagine you. I am fantastic. It's great to hear your voice and catch up with you. I imagine at this point in time, you are a busy, busy gal. I am. It is pretty intense as soon as February hits. <laughs> right? Absolutely. At Her Table is coming around the bend again. This is year number three. And really, you took such a giant leap from year one to year two I can't even imagine to see, and I've just, you know, because you go to at her table, you go to the website, uh, to wait to see what is coming up in year three. How big of a stride did we take here, Michelle? What are we doing this year? Huge, huge strides. Um, this year, we're going to be having the James Beard Foundation come to the event, and it's been almost two decades since they've been here. The venue is Sensorio. They have a new event space that is stunning. It's going to be a wild event. Well, your Sensorio is, by all accounts, just a beautiful... I mean, you're talking about having a dinner in, like, an art installation, in, in these lights and the way they light up the rolling hills of Paso. And to have to be overlooking that from their event space is super, super special. Yeah, it is. And we there might be a special surprise. I can't announce it formally right now, but stay tuned. We will also be having fireworks at City of Atascadero. There is so much to look forward to, and we hope everyone will join us. Wow. At her table, March 1st through 10th, celebrating women through the art of culinary connection. you got to check out athertable.com. Okay, we started this three years ago. What was, and I love the story of how just kind of organically this started with you. Uh, tell us the story of how it started, and then uh, we'll kind of get into what we can expect for Festival 2024. Oh my gosh, fate would have it that an idea would be presented to me by a friend in LA and Women's History Month was coming up. We were in the middle of the pandemic and I had only a few weeks to throw at her table. The idea came forward because during the pandemic, businesses were suffering and I just want to do something special for the community and rally them. And at her table was born. We started with 36 restaurants and in a matter of two years, we grew to over 300 restaurants who were participating. And it has been a journey. I can't even describe it. <laughs> that is so cool. So March 1st through 10th, there's all kinds of events in and throughout at her table. And you have to just go to the website and check them all out. We're going to hit a few of them here. But this James Beard Foundation Dinner, it's on Friday, March 1st. And this is... I mean, this talking about up in the game, this is incredible, Michelle. This is truly the expression of At Her Table. This James Beard Foundation dinner would not happen without the community's support. This was one of those ideas that was so wild to me. We threw it out there. It ended up happening. The VP of programs of James Beard Foundation will be attending. The story about it is just fantastic. I had this vision for it, and I wanted the best venue possible. The universe would have it that Sensorio and their team would be so generous as to host all of us. So we have a fantastic venue, amazing chefs, James Beard Foundation. This is just going to be an experience of a lifetime. The wines are killer. We even yeah. have, oh yeah, we even got, um, what was it? It's a... We even have McPrice, Myers, Devil A, Sparkling Wine, which was completely sold out. They pulled from their personal collections to make this happen. And that wow. is just a testament to how amazing this community is. Yeah. You look at some of the other brands here. We got Epic Estate Wines, Albin, Saxum, Tablas Creek, Laventur. I mean, the wine at this dinner is just unbelievable. And the chefs, I mean, I'm such a fan of all these women. Of course, love Megan Loring. Uh, you have Rusty Quirk, uh, Brittany Iracheta, and uh, Betsy Villa Gomez. This is going to be a dinner that people are not going to forget. I'm so happy and excited to be a part of it. Carson Butler on board. Like, you have just got the dream team here. This is the A team, my dream team. I... It's unbelievable. I pinch myself every day. Okay, so get tickets to that one. They're on sale again at hertable.com. Atascadero International Women's Day is March 8th. There's a celebration, a street festival, and for the first time ever, uh, fireworks on International Women's Day. Yes, we've not found it anywhere in the media. This is something so special for sure. 
fireworks have not been done on the Central Coast in honor of International Women's Day. So we are upping the bar. We are setting the tone and the example that when Women's History Month is here, we bring it. Now, I know the sober curious aspect is really cool. You even have it threaded into the James Beard Foundation dinner if people want to pair with a non-alcoholic drink. But you have this thing called Sober Curious Sunday. What's that about? For the longest time, throwing at her table, we've gotten a lot of feedback requesting non-alcoholic events, non-alcoholic options, and the voices of the participants are very important to us. So we're honoring that this year by having a Sober Curious Sunday. This event's going to be held at Region. It's led by Jamie Lewis of Consumed, and we have an amazing panel of leaders in the beverage industry. We've got Dominique Gonzalez from Root Elixirs, Lauren Butler, Yes Cocktail Company, Rachel Martin from Oceano Wines, Sandy Seegerson. She was awarded Slow Citizen of the Year from the Chamber of Commerce and Michelle Pulani from To Be Honest Company. Food specials, vacation packages, you've really worked closely with folks like Travel Paso, uh, Visit Atascadero, and these municipalities to uh, really make this a destination time for folks to come to the area too. Yes, we've had such a great response. What's been happening is I've been getting emails from people from all over the United States wanting to be a part of that or her table, hearing about it. It has been mind-blowing. I just got an email yesterday from Boise, Idaho, wanting at her table. I've gotten emails from Florida, from San Francisco and Santa Barbara, and it's growing. It's really impressive what our community has done as a whole to make this such a great event. So I know your sponsors, Travel Paso, Visit Atascadero, uh, the city of Atascadero, My 805 Ticks, New Times, Edible Slow Magazine, and uh, we love Travel Paso. This is part of our Travel Paso Spotlight, and I want you to go to athertable.com. Once again, Michelle Barrera, the unstoppable Michelle Barrera. It's so great to chat with you. I can't wait to see you throughout At Her Table, and thanks for all the good work that you're doing in and for the community. Right back at you, Adam. Can't wait to see you there. She's the best. I don't know how she does it all, Michelle Barrera. Don't forget, at hertable.com. Also, another thing not to forget, and that's to share this podcast with a friend as well as rate, review, and subscribe to the show wherever you listen. I have some big news to drop soon. It includes a chance for you to join me and Paso Wine and some Paso Wine makers in the Rhone Valley. Whoo, for a river cruise this August, it'll change your life. Still early. I'll have more announcements on the next episode. I'll tell you exactly where, exactly who. I'll give you a hint. He had a 100-point wine last year. Damn! That's all I'm saying. And how you can join us, too. So this is a first. We always talk about where wine takes you. Well, okay, it's taking us to France. From Paso to France, baby, let's do this. Save the dates, August 1st through 8th. You will not regret it, and stay tuned. Okay, reminder, to get that Paso Wine app, it's free in your smartphone's app store, truly the best resource before your next trip to Paso Wine Country. Get in your app store, just search for Paso Wine. Again, it's 100% free. There are no in-app purchases, anything like that, so check it out. Where Wine Takes You is executive produced by Joel Peterson and Paso Wine. Associate producer Krista Smith. The show is recorded, edited, and produced by yours truly. Technical consideration, thanks to our friends at Fly With Wine. Original music on the show, Dan Curcio's Moonshiner Collective. The song is called Good Company. It's available wherever you stream your music, and you can learn more. Moonshinercollective.com. I do know Moonshinercollective.com is playing in March at Slow Brew Rock here. More info on that to come. But if you've ever wanted to see these guys live, ooh, man, so good. To connect with me on Instagram at Adam on the air. If you want to ask a question or reach out, you can go to my website, Adam Montiel, M-O-N-T-I-E-L, adamontiel.com. Everything's there, as well as a Stay Connected tab if you want to drop a line. Well, looking forward to our next episode where we will talk blending some wines. We'll talk blend fest. We'll talk where are we going in August that I just teased and with who? That and a lot more on the next episode of Where Wine Takes You. Until then, lift that glass up real high. Here's to drinking new wines, meeting new people, and enjoying and relishing all along the way where wine takes you. So give me that bone sound, get by, we back all around to the job. We can't die in the 
G's It will simplify But come here Give me that boom sound Get by We pass on down To the choppy chop Can't die In the G's It will simplify But come here Give me that boom sound Get by We pass on down To the choppy chop Can't die In the G's It will simplify Good company Give me that boom sound Get by We pass on down To the choppy chop Camped out in the cheesy world, simplifying good company.